Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Good evening, uh, Central. Uh, it is a real privilege to be here and to share the word with you this evening. Uh, let us open in a word of prayer uh, before we approach uh, to hear from God's word. Father God, we thank you uh, that we can worship you. Lord God, no one deserves to utter any word of praise to you, Lord God. Our lips are too unclean. Our hearts are so foul, Lord God. But Lord God, we know that we can worship you because of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we can come and sing praises. We can rejoice before you because you have done so much good to us, Lord. And Lord God, we come this evening not because we're so holy, not because we have it together, not because we've had a good week, Lord. Rather, the opposite, Lord, we come because we are still sinners. Lord, we still fall short. We still, Lord, are, we bear the marks of our sin, Lord. We are not conformed to the life and character of Christ as we should be. We are not holy as you are holy. We're not perfect, O oh God, as you are perfect. And therefore, Father, we come before you, Lord, humbly, and we confess our sin. We confess that we fall short. Lord, we wish it were not so, but it is. But Lord God, that, that's why we come, because we pray that you would change us, as Brad said. That Lord God, our hearts, our minds, our lives, our character, our desires, every aspect of who we are, Lord, would just testify to what an awesome God you are. So Father God, I pray that this evening would not be one of mere practice or habit. I pray, Lord God, people wouldn't just sit under the teaching of your word with cold hearts or with distracted minds, but I pray that your Holy Spirit would descend upon our hearts and our minds and just awaken us to the truth of your word. And I pray, O oh God, let the truth of your word truly pierce, Lord, to the division of our soul and spirit, just to the very depths of who we are. Lord God, you know those secret sins that no one else knows about. You know our our own sins, Lord, that we perhaps aren't even aware of. And Lord God, I pray that this evening you would be changing us in a slight way, beginning, Lord, uh, well, Lord, continuing that good work, Lord, that you have begun in us that will be brought to completion on the Lord's day. So Father God, be with your saints, Lord. I pray, Lord, it would not only be a challenging one, but an encouragement, Lord. An encouragement, Lord God, that there can be growth, there can be change, there can be sanctification, there can be a life walked with you and to your glory. But Lord God, I also pray for anyone in this room, Lord, and there are people in this room who do not know you, oh God. Lord, they see the communion, they see the, they see the church participating in the body and blood of Christ, but Lord God, it is nothing to them. Perhaps they even think it is something to them, but Lord, it isn't. And I pray, Father God, that your word again would pierce into their hearts this evening to awaken them, to show them, Lord, that they are still under your wrath until they are in Christ. 
So Lord, I pray that you'd show them that Christ is the solution, that only Christ can save them, and Lord, that they need to place their faith in him him and submit to him as their Lord. So please, Father God, we come, Lord, needy. And Lord, I myself, Lord, am a sinner, Lord, and I am unworthy to be here, but yet, Lord, I am. And Lord God, that is also of your grace. So Lord God, give me the grace to speak the truth, to speak accurately the things of God. Give me a real passion for your name's sake. Lord, Lord, remove any vain glory that desires to see my own name increase. I pray, Lord God, to give me unction, Lord. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit and help me to speak boldly the things of God. And I pray, Lord God, also that you just give me the, the love for those who are before me, Lord. A love, Lord, that desires to see them grow, desires to, th- to see them sanctified, desires to see them glorify you and worship you as they ought to, Lord. So, Lord, we come with neediness. So, Lord, speak to us. Your word, Lord, is able to change us, able to conform us to your likeness. Please do so this evening, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening, we continue uh, the series on Proverbs, and we are in Proverbs chapter 2 this evening, Proverbs chapter 2. I'd like to propose that this chapter is going to be something of an appetizer, or perhaps your starter. If you've gone to a fancy restaurant, you might have had a three-course meal. We've had a starter, a main course, and then your dessert. And I'd like to propose that today the author is intending this passage to play the part of a starter. He is trying to whet our appetite. When you've had a starter, it is telling you something of the quality of the main course that is going to follow. It's not meant to fill you up, but it's meant to rather prepare you for what is to come. And this evening, the author is trying to prepare us for the wisdom that he is going to impart to us in later chapters. So he's really trying to excite us, to encourage us, to awaken a hunger in us for wisdom. That is what what God is trying to do with us this evening. So with that perspective in mind, let us read the whole of chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and, the, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in perverseness, in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked crooked and are devious in their ways." 
so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, and with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, and her house sinks down to to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good of the good and keep keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inherit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. As we approach this text, I'd like to propose that it is two discernible portions. The first portion you'll see in verses 1 to 4. You'll see that in verse 1, verse 3, and verse 4, you'll see the word if. If. And then if you look at uh, the rest of the chapter from verses 5 to 22, in verse 5, you see then. In verse 9, you see then. In verse uh, 16, you see so. And in verse 20, you see so. You see, quite clearly, it's a logical argument. The author, the father, speaking to his son, is saying that if you do this, then this will happen. You can picture a, a parent in a, maybe a supermarket and their child maybe is busy screaming and not wanting to listen. And perhaps the mother would say, well, you must keep quiet. And the child will say, why? Why should I keep quiet? Why? You know, I, I just want to scream. I want to, you didn't want to buy me these sweets, so I'm going to make a noise. And then maybe the mother would say, well, if you don't keep quiet, then you're going to get a hiding when we arrive home. And it's that same sort of logic that is seen here. If you do this, then this will happen. So in the first four verses, what is happening? What is it that this father is instructing his son to do? Well, I know perhaps many of you are here to hide away from your studies, to forget about your studies, but I'll bring it to your remembrance again. Uh, Perhaps at the beginning of your year, your lecturers give you a bunch of tips. How to do well, you know, this year at varsity. Maybe they'll say, uh, take notes in class. Come to every class. At the end of every week, read through all of your notes. Make mind maps or Whatever it is, I'm sure you guys have heard this before. But then when you come to the end of it, you know, you kind of, you know, I'm sure at this point you regret that you didn't listen. (laughs) Perhaps you were hoping that you did heed his word. And that is what the father is saying here. Well, if you listen to my words now, then there is something to come. And that something to come is a benefit to you. So what is it that this father wants his son to do or to know or to hear? Let's read verses 1 to 4 again. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. You see, there's this almost an idea of a a mad pursuit. If you receive my words, if you treasure my commandments, make your ear attentive, incline your heart, call out, raise your voice, seek it, search for it. This father wants his son 
to diligently pursue after wisdom. Your lecturer wanted you to put practices in place that you might pass the course at the end of the year. This father wants his son to diligently pursue after wisdom. Just to go through a few of these words, the word receive in verse 1, it literally means to take. The father is saying, take my words. Make them, your, make them your own. Make them part of your own life. It mustn't just be your father telling you, but it must be you. It must be your decision. Let my words become your words. Let my advice become the way you live. He tells him to treasure up his commandments, literally to, to hide it, to store it in the, the deepest place of your heart and your minds so that no matter what goes on around you, that remains unaffected. He says, make your ear attentive to wisdom. How easy is it for us to listen to our lecturers who advise us and then we just forget it. We don't listen. We, we're like, now nah, what can you tell me? I know everything. And then you regret it. He says, incline your heart to understanding. That word incline, it can mean to bend or to stretch out. What this father is saying is that, yes, your heart doesn't want to listen to me. It doesn't want to have understanding because the flesh is opposed to this. But what you need to do is really beat your heart into submission. Bend it. Stretch it out until it does listen to understanding. You see, the father tells us to call out for insight. This is very much what Dan preached on last week, how wisdom goes around in the streets calling out for somebody to come and listen. And now the father is telling us that we need to call out for wisdom. We need to be seeking wisdom, raising our voice for understanding. And then lastly, seeking it like silver and searching for it as a hidden treasure. See, I was considering this. I was considering, I was speaking to somebody earlier in the week. Why do people study what they study? If you, if you study just because you enjoy your studies, I don't think many of you would still be studying. Because no one enjoys studying. No one is excited to go to lectures and write exams and do assignments because the studying is not the end goal. For you, the end goal of your studying might be a, a dream job, perhaps financial security, perhaps uh, you'd like to win the Nobel Peace Prize or something, you'd like to be a prominent figure or perhaps even just support a family one, one day. But you see, you're willing to go through the hard and grueling and difficult task of studying. Why? Because at the end of it, there's silver. There's hidden treasure. There's something worthwhile that makes your studies a worthy investment. And that's what he's saying here, is that you must pursue wisdom and understanding as if it is a silver, precious gem that you desire to have. And I think it's a rebuke to me. I'm sure it's a rebuke to all of us because let us consider what do we spend more time on? Do we spend 10% of our life seeking after God, seeking after his word, listening to his preaching, and then perhaps the other 90% is other things? Does that show us seeking after it like silver? 
Is that us? Can this describe us? You see, we, in this text, there's actually no commandments. There's no do this. But there's implications to our choices, is what he's saying. Is that if you do these things, if you diligently pursue after wisdom, then there is a benefit that follows. So that describes the first part. This is what the father wants his son to do. It's it's hard to command your son to do these things. You can only trust in God that God would work in his heart to do these things. And I pray that God would work in our hearts that we would diligently listen to these things and then apply them. But then, what is the benefit to pursuing after godly wisdom? What help is it that I do this? You see, if you're like me, I want to know why. If you tell me, seek after wisdom, that's not enough for me. I need some reason to do it. And thankfully, God understands that and has told us in his word why. So I'd like to highlight five benefits from this text that comes from pursuing godly wisdom. Number one, it's that you find God at the end of it. Read verses five to eight again. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. One commentator simply put it is that when we pursue after wisdom, the outcome is that we find God. Now I don't mean that in the worldly perspective. An atheist who is just concerned with finding worldly wisdom won't find God at the end of the tunnel. He'll find more things to be proud about. But what he's saying here is that if we are truly of God's children and if we are inclined to listen to God, then if we pursue after wisdom, pursue after understanding, pursue after instruction and insight, then what we will find at the end of it is a greater knowledge of God. You see, the, beginning, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Therefore, to grow in knowledge means to have grown to fear God more, which means that you've grown to know God more. See, we see, for example, uh, I like to refer to this text often, when we look at Moses, he exclaimed to God on one occasion, please show me your glory. He desired to see something of God. He desired to know God. He wasn't satisfied with what he had of God. And if you think of Moses, he saw God in the the burning bush. He He had communicated with God, spoken to God. What more could he want? But yet he still said, please show me your glory. And that's in Exodus 33 verse 18. And that should be one of the reasons why we desire to, to diligently pursue wisdom. Because if we grow in wisdom, the, then we will understand the fear of the Lord. No longer will the fear of the Lord just be a, a saying to us that often we hear, but we will understand why we fear God. What a majestic God, what a glorious God, what a holy God, what an awesome God that is worthy to be feared and worthy to submit it to and we'll find the knowledge of God. 
Psalm 34, which is quite a, a nice song to sing for us, it says in Psalm 34 verse 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Again, the psalmist is inviting us to an experiential understanding and growth in a knowledge of who God is. But in the very next line, he says, Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. So there we see that knowing God and the fear of God are tightly linked concepts. And you see, if we are truly in Christ, knowing God should be the true delight of our soul. I was listening to a sermon uh, earlier today, and what the pastor was saying is that if you don't spend time with the Lord that day, you know it's a waste. If you neglected to pray, neglected to read your Bible, you just know it was a write-off. It was absolutely worthless day, no matter how much other good stuff you did, or good stuff you did. But you see, if we just spend time with God, we realize that this is, this is it. This is what I've been made for. This is what I've been designed to enjoy and delight in. And so too is what this father is trying to convince his son. If you pursue wisdom, if you seek after it, then you too can know God. You can experience him. You can see him. And not only can you just see something of God, but God is the fountain of all wisdom. If you look at verse six, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. So thus to grow in knowledge is to grow to know the giver of knowledge. So pursue knowledge because if you're pursuing true godly knowledge, you are coming to know God more and more. Let that be something that encourages us. Because in verse 7 and 8, it tells us, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. What a blessing that is. He guards us. He watches over us. He gives us wisdom. Why should we not seek to grow in wisdom so that we might know God more? Then the second reason I'd like to propose is that growing in Godly wisdom, diligently pursuing godly wisdom, helps us with the day-to-day decisions of life. Verses 9 to 11. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Again, we see this blessing that comes through growing in wisdom is that as we grow in wisdom, as we grow to know God's will for us, as we know his word more, as we grow to see what he desires of us, then we are able to walk in a way that is righteous, a way that is just, in a way that is equitable, and we are able to follow every good path. Wisdom will be part of your heart. No longer will you have to seek wisdom external to you, but because God has implanted his wisdom within you, then it will be within your heart, and you'll be able to use that in the situations of life. How often do you just feel like, I just wish I knew what to do. I don't know what to do. Well, the promise from this this father to his son is that if you are pursuing after wisdom, there will be a place where you come to where you'll have wisdom in your heart. 
Then the third reason that we can look at is that diligently pursuing wisdom will guard us from associating with the wrong people. Verses 12 to 16. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of sorry, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and, are, and who are devious in their ways. You see, when we understand, so when we grow to have godly wisdom, we're delivered from the way of evil. How is it that we're delivered from the way of evil? Well, today Pastor Charles and Pastor Jabu preached on Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verse 17, 16 to 17 says this. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. You see, this psalmist was struggling with why do the evil get away with evil? Why do they prosper? Perhaps even tempted himself to say, I'll join them because their way of life seems far more profitable than mine. But you see, when he went to the sanctuary, when he saw, when he looked, perhaps there was a a priest that was sacrificing something and he saw something of God's provision for his sin. Or perhaps somebody was speaking about the law of God and he was reminded about how good and just and holy God is. Perhaps he just was again reminded of the beauty of the temple, that this is but a, a, a tiny reflection of the beauty of who God is. And he was reminded that this way with God is far better because this way with the evil one will bring death. The end of pursuing or associating with evil men is death. And you see, when one is truly wise, you can see that. You can see that person following parties, that person following after academics, that person following after drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be. You see it's a pathway to death. And you can say, I don't want that. I want to be with God. This path is far more better. We develop this godly discernment that allows us to flee from sin and from death. Again, in verses 16 to 19, now we see specifically that godly wisdom, if we pursue it, it will protect us, it will deliver us from sexual immorality, from adultery. It says, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. You see, if we lack godly wisdom, the adulteress, the foreign woman, it seems appealing. If I go down this path, there will be gratification. It will be pleasing to the flesh. But the wise person will see that none who go this path come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Why should I go down this path then? See, godly wisdom delivers us because it allows us to see the truth. It allows us not to be deceived. You see, James 1 verse 13 to 17, it's a longer passage, but let me read it. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, 
and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It sounds very similar to what this father is saying to his son. But then verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. You see, it promises so much. And it just says, just one time, and then just one time more. But James is saying, don't be deceived. This father is saying, don't be deceived. And the way to not be deceived is to pursue godly wisdom. Verse 17 of James 1 verse 7, uh, chapter, 1 verse, chapter 1 verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due, due to change. This godly wisdom allows one to see that the right path is with God. The world promises you much, but truly every good gift comes from the Father above, from the Father of lights. So why do I have to listen to the world's gifts and not the Father's? And then the fifth and last benefit that wisdom brings to those who pursue it, from verse 20 to 22. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of righteousness. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. See, diligently pursuing after wisdom brings the assurance of inheritance of the blessings of God. It was a promise to Uh, Abraham's offspring that they would inherit the land. But there was a requirement. They needed to obey God's commandments and walk blamelessly before him. And now we see that wisdom allows one to keep on the path of righteousness. You see, the Israelites were very carnal people. They didn't have this godly wisdom. All they could see was what was right in front of them. Therefore, if it was pleasing to them, they'd pursue it. If there was an idol that promised to bring relief, they'd go after it. They'd go after this thing, that thing. There were, there's no wisdom. Nothing, nothing governed them. Nothing governed their thoughts. They were impulsive. But the wise person is able to see that the blessings, the promises of God are worthwhile. And it's worth perhaps even suffering for a bit, perhaps suffering lack, perhaps being excluded perhaps not gratifying the desires of the flesh, which are just crying out, please me. See, it allows us to be wise and to discern that being on the path of righteousness, walking in the way of the good, is worthwhile. So that is the starter that this father is promising his son. He's saying that if you pursue diligently after wisdom, there will be many benefits. Many benefits will follow your path. It's really an exhortation, and it's my exhortation to you and even to my own soul, pursue wisdom. Pursue after wisdom. There's much benefit to wisdom. We that are in Christ, we we read a lot about in 1 Corinthians about uh, an unsanctified group of people. I still remember Jabu's sermon title, Spiritual Dwarfism. I thought that was a really good title. We mustn't be spiritual dwarves. 
We mustn't be those who are carnally minded. Just to read a couple passages uh, from 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1 to 13, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. It's an exhortation to go deeper into spiritual things, deeper into the knowledge of God, deeper into walking with God, deeper into holiness, practical holiness in the day-to-day life of avoiding the temptations of the flesh. That is all that it promises. So then how can we apply this? How is it that you as a believer in Jesus Christ can apply this passage? Well, I have a few points that I'd like to highlight. Firstly, is to listen to the word of God, to sit under the preaching of the word of God. So I think you all know that. I think that that's something that we expect to hear, to be sitting under the word of God. But I wonder, do we have the same attitude this father wanted his son to have? Can you say, you receive my words, you treasure up the commandments, You make your ear attentive, you incline your heart, you call out for insight, you raise your voice, you seek it like silver, you search for it as hidden hidden treasures. Is that your attitude when you listen to the word? When you're at Bible study, what is your attitude as you listen to the word? Is it, I want to learn, I have to learn. If you don't understand something I've said, are you gonna call out and say, Conrad, what did you mean? Are you gonna seek after wisdom? Are you gonna seek after understanding? See, God has instituted the church and instituted the elders of the church to be preachers of the word. 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 to 2 is an example of Paul telling Timothy how he ought to preach the word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and understanding. Even 1 Peter 5 verse 1 to 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partake in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock." And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then verse five, likewise, you who are subject, you, sorry, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Are you subject? Do you listen? Do you respond as this son ought to respond to his father? Then secondly, and more briefly, it's to pray for wisdom. How is your prayer life after wisdom? Do you pray diligently? Do you pursue it? Is it a treasure that you desire to behold? James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach, reproach, and it will be given him. Again, it's a challenge to us. Are we willing to pray as this father desired for his children to pray? And then also I'd like to encourage personal pursuit. Your pursuit is not just based on me preaching. Yes, it involves prayer, which is good, but it also involves knowledge of the word of God. A few texts. First Peter 2, verse 2 to 3. 
like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. James 1 verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with, we- with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And, what, and then 2 Timothy, sorry, yes. So pursue it diligently in personal study. Long for it, pursue it, receive with meekness the implanted word. And then lastly, I'd like to encourage discipleship. Has anyone ever asked to be discipled? Have you ever approached somebody that's older in the faith saying, I wish to learn, I'm not wise enough, I wish to grow? I think that's something that we severely lack. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, again, Paul charging Timothy to do something. He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you, are you being taught by somebody who is more knowledgeable, who is more wise? Perhaps it is your father, your physical father. But do you also have somebody spiritually who is able to father you along and teach you and train you and and walk with you? I think those are all practical elements. Sitting under the preaching of the word, praying for for wisdom, uh, personal study, and then also discipleship. So that is what God desires for us to do. That is what God desires for us to expect. God, is, God wants us to be salivating at the prospect of wisdom, literally drooling at the, at, at, at the chance of gaining more wisdom. And this is a wonderful place to be, the book of Proverbs, is that next week there'll be more wisdom, and the week after more wisdom. Not only the book of Proverbs, but every book of the Bible has the wisdom of God. So I hope that it inspires us individually, communally, privately, publicly, to be seeking after wisdom diligently because it brings much benefit. But in closing, and my last words, all of this is true for those who are in Christ. Those who are outside of Christ, there is no wisdom at all. As on a YouTube video today, there's an advertisement, and it was Neil deGrasse Tyson. If you know about him, he's a scientist, space, universe, all those gigantic things. And he was having a course on how to find objective truth and how to communicate wisdom and apply it. But the sad reality is, is that without Christ, there is no wisdom. You see, one commentator, Philip Henry, says that A person is a fool if he puts every other wisdom above his relation to God. If you have not bent the knee to Christ, if you are not fearful of God and submitted to him and trusted in him for your salvation, then there's no knowledge. Knowledge hasn't even begun. It is all vanity, whatever you know, if you have not received Christ. But you see, Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ is the revelation of God. Christ has spoken into this world with his words, with his death, with his resurrection, and he's shouting out saying that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That by believing in me, there's salvation. 
You see, for those who are in Christ, I think you understand. You see, when you look at Christ, you see who God is. You see, he's a triune God, a good God, a just God. He's perfect. He didn't break his own law to save us, but he, he died for us in order to be obedient and in order to not break his law but still save us. When we look at Christ, we see who we are. We're desperate sinners. We're wicked. We deserve to die. But we see that in him there's salvation and grace and life, and we can call him our savior. He's our shepherd When we look at Christ, we see the folly of this world. We see that this world is passing away. We see that as Christ rose from the dead, we too will once rise into eternal life and that this life is but temporary. Have you received Christ? Is Christ your wisdom? Is Christ your all? Is Christ your fear? Have you bent your knee to him and confessed that he is Lord? For that is the beginning of knowledge. It is no use for you to expect that just listening to sermons, reading a Bible, and even praying will save you until you come to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe upon him. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we lack a hunger for your word. We lack a hunger to know you. We lack a hunger to walk blamelessly before you, Lord. But Father God, you have revealed in your word how to do this. This wisdom in your word, this truth in your word, this life in your word, oh God. And Lord, for us who are in Christ Jesus, I just pray, O God, that there would be a desire to grow in wisdom, Lord. That wisdom would be a part of who we are. That we would be diligent students of wisdom, pursuing wisdom, growing in the knowledge of God, growing in holiness, fleeing temptation, and inheriting the promises of God. Lord, please grow that desire. Lord, as we leave, may we not forget, but Lord God, may we change, Lord, as I prayed at the beginning. May our practices change, may our mind change, may our heart change, that Lord God, we would be diligent pursuers of wisdom. So Father God, I pray that you'd be with us as we leave and be with us in this closing song, so that Lord, we'd praise you and worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.